0: Welcome to the Games for the Throne podcast, a podcast about the HBO series Game of Thrones. I'm your host, Courtney, a.k.a. Mother of Dragons. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Games for the Throne podcast. This one is covering episode 604, entitled Book of the Stranger. So we start with Jon at the wall, and he's packing because he's going to leave. Dolores Ed is in the room, he's trying to talk him out of it, and asks him where he's going to go, and what he plans to do, and he just can't understand how John can leave after he saw what happened at Hardhome. But John says he's fulfilled his oath to the Night's Watch, he served until his death when his own brothers killed him. And they continue to talk, and the horn sounds, the gates open, and Sansa, Brienne, and Pod enter tormund sees Brienne and instantly falls in love she's not sure what to make of him though sansa's looking around and john comes out and he sees his half-sister and he slowly walks up and hugs her they get some quality time together later eating soup by the fire it's kind of awkward because they were never really that close um, but they reminisce about the kidney pies that old nan used to make And they both agree that they wish they had never left Winterfell. If they could go back to that day that they left, they would change everything. Sansa tries to apologize to Jon for being such an ass to him when she was um, younger. And he says there's no apology necessary, that he wasn't much better. He was always skulking in a corner somewhere and being jealous of his brothers and sisters. But finally, she makes him forgive her, and he does. She tells John that they need to go reclaim Winterfell, or they will be running for the rest of their lives. But John says he's tired of fighting. He's been fighting since he left Winterfell, and he needs a break. Besides that, he doesn't have an army. Sansa says the Wildlings still owe him their lives, but he says he won't make them fight for him. She says she wants to do this with John, but if she has to do it without him, she will. So he tells her he'll come with her, because if he didn't, Ned's ghost would probably come and murder him. Next, we go to Sir Davos and Melisandre. They're in the courtyard, and he notices that she's completely jumped on John's bandwagon. Now, she believes he's the prince that was promised. And Sir Davos says, "Oh well, so now it's John. I-, I thought Stannis was the prince that was promised." He wants to know what happened at Winterfell. He starts to question her, um, pretty much interrogating her, and more specifically, he wants to know what happened to Princess Shireen. But all she will say is that Stannis and his army were defeated. Brienne walks up then and she tells Sir Davos that she saw what happened at the battle. She introduces, um, or he introduces himself, but she reminds him that they already met when she was a member of Renly's Kingsguard before he was killed by blood magic, and she looks very pointedly at Melisandre at this point. Sir Davos kind of tries to smooth things over, saying that that was all in the past, but Brienne says she won't forget. She also tells them she found Stannis after the battle, and she did indeed kill him. In the eerie, Littlefinger comes back. He um, is visiting Robin Aaron, who is with Lord Royce. Lord Royce has been trying like crazy to make some sort of ro- uh, warrior out of Robin Aaron, but this boy just can't do anything. He's practicing archery when um, Littlefinger's um, carriage pulls up and he just misses the target by a mile and Littlefinger has brought Robin a falcon since he missed his name day Lord Royce accuses Littlefinger of giving Sansa to the Boltons he says you know you left here with her and next thing I know she's married to Ramsay Bolton that's not what we discussed but Littlefinger denies it and he claims that they were attacked on the road and that Sansa was taken and I mean what was he to do in that situation of course But Littlefinger, being the trickster that he is, turns the accusation back onto Lord Royce by pointing out that he was the only other person that that knew the travel route they were taking, so he possibly hatched the plot to help the Boltons kidnap Sansa. And Littlefinger really shows how deep his hold on Robin goes right here, because Robin's basically already decided in this moment that they should throw Lord Royce out of the moon door. I mean, we all know he doesn't have a mind of his own, but Littlefinger can manipulate him very easily. Lord Royce realizes the situation he's in, and he practically grovels for his life, saying he is loyal to Robin. Littlefinger turns on what he said before a little bit, and he urges Robin to keep Lord Royce close, because he could be valuable as a commander in the coming war. So... Robin concedes, and Littlefinger tells them that Sansa luckily escaped the Boltons somehow, and she is now at Castle Black, but she won't be safe there. Robin says they should help Sansa, and Littlefinger asks Lord Royce to call the banners so they can join the fray. Tyrion has invited the masters to marine. Missandei and Grey Worm are not too happy about this and I can kind of understand where they're coming from. I wouldn't be too happy either. They say that the masters will never give up slavery but Tyrion says you know I'm very much against slavery too having been a slave for a short time but Missandei points out that he was only a slave for a few weeks and that hardly compares to what she and Grey Worm have been through. I mean, I can only imagine how they would feel because if I had been in bondage, I certainly wouldn't want to face my former owners and abusers. But Tyrion is trying to do something to help ease the tension of the situation while Dario and Jorah are looking for Danny. They meet with the slave masters, and the slave masters are anxious to know where Danny is and why she isn't there to meet with them. They're extremely unhappy and offended to be welcomed by a dwarf and a eunuch. Tyrion tells them that the queen is traveling and he has the complete authority to negotiate on her behalf. But they don't care. They demand that Danny and her dragons leave Slaver's Bay and head to Westeros where she belongs. One of the slavers even says that he gave her ships to go back to Westeros but she wouldn't leave. Things begin to get a little heated and Tyrion tells the masters that they don't need slavery anymore to make money. That there hasn't been slavery in Westeros in hundreds of years, and he's one of the richest families in Westeros. He says that Danny wants to put a new system in place and give the masters time to adapt to the new way of doing things. Slavery will not return to Marine at all, but the other cities can have seven years to end the practice, and they'll also be compensated if they cut their support off to the Sons of the Harpy. The masters claim they don't back the Sons of the Harpy, but Tyrion says, "Eh, even so, you will stop your support for them, so he calls them out on that. And he even sweetens the deal by giving them prostitutes for the evening, and he leaves them to it. From there, Tyrion, Missandei, Grey Worm, and Varys go to the throne room, where the free men are gathered. They are upset that Tyrion has invited and spoken with the masters from Astapor and Yunkai. But Tyrion says, I'm not the queen, but I am her close advisor, and I'm doing what's best in her absence. They also demand to know where she is and when she will return. Tyrion tells them she will return soon. The freedmen don't know Tyrion, and therefore they don't trust him, but they say they trust Grey Worm. So they ask his thoughts on Tyrion's plan. Grey Worm kind of struggles internally with this because we all know that he and Missandei weren't happy when, um... Tyrion came up with a seven-year rule they both exchanged a look they were a bit appalled by it but um, Grey Worm ends up telling the freedmen that if there's a chance for peace they should take it and Missandei also chimes in saying a wise man once told me we make peace with our enemies not our friends and this is something that Tyrion said to her at one point so the freedmen leave for now and Grey Worm tells Tyrion not to use them like that again He's very upset about him putting him in that situation, and he also says that he better not betray betray the queen. Grey Worm and Missandei both speak up about their disgust at the seven-year plan that Tyrion has. That is just too long for slavery to end. Thousands will be captured and enslaved during that time. And they warn Tyrion that they can't trust the masters. Slaves are not humans in their eyes. When they look at Grey Worm, they see a warrior that they can sell. And when they look at Missandei, all they see is a whore. Grey Worm tells Tyrion that you can't use the wise masters, but they will use you. We catch up with Dario and um, Jorah. They're still hot on Danny's trail. Dario's giving poor Jorah such a hard time, talking about. How hard it must be that Danny chose the young Dario over the old Jorah, and just um, continues to pick at him. And when Jorah kind of starts to rise to the occasion, Dario says, "Well, you know, I don't want to fight you with you because then I'll be the ass who killed an old man." So then all jokes are put aside because they've made it to Thrac, and Jorah knows that Danny will be held at the Temple of the Delshkaleen. So they'll have to stash their weapons somewhere because weapons aren't allowed in the sacred city. Jora says uh, they can pretend to be traitors so they can pass through, and then they'll make their move to take Danny once it's dark outside. Dario doesn't really want to give up his weapons, and when he starts to hand Jora one of his daggers, he sees the grayscale on Jora's arm through the rip in his sleeve. They exchange a look. Dario kind of steps back a little bit. But Jorah tells him it's okay because he didn't touch him. Dario says, I'll just hide my weapons myself. And then he asks Jorah if he knows what happens. And Jorah says, yes, I know. So it cuts to night and they're sneaking through the city. They run into two Dothraki men in an alleyway. Jorah tells them, we're traitors. We got lost in the city. Can you please help us find our way? But the Dothraki guys, they just smell something's up. And one tries to run and go get help, so Dario chases after him and kills him. While Jorah fights the other guy, and poor Jorah almost gets killed, but suddenly a dagger comes through the guy's head. And when when he drops, we see Dario. So Dario snuck a weapon in, even though Jorah told him not to, but it ended up saving Jorah in the end. Jorah says the whole city will be in an uproar if they find the guy, this guy, with a stab wound in his head. So Dario picks up a rock and just bashes the guy's head in to cover it up. Poor Danny is stuck in this temple, listening to the oldest woman explain to her that their lives have meaning because calls listen to their advice, so they have power. Danny says she needs to go outside and use the bathroom. But the older woman doesn't trust her, so she sends another former Khaleesi to watch her. But fortunately, this woman isn't actually Dothraki. Um, I can't remember if she's from Lys or something like that. And she was taken and wed to a call, so she's not as closely tied in with the Dothraki as some of the other members of the Dashkhalin are. Um, she is really curious about Danny and her dragon. She asks all kinds of questions, and Danny says, "Well." You can see them one day, but the girl says she'll never leave there because she is Dosh so she clearly just, um, this girl has no hope of getting out of there. When they get a little further outside, Jorah and Dario grab the other woman, and they almost slit her throat, but Danny tells them to stop. She says they'll never get out of Vase Dothrak alive, but then she says that she has a plan. We sail back across the Narrow Sea to King's Landing, where Marjorie is taken to see the High Sparrow. He asked, if he released her now, where would she go? She says she would go to her family, obviously, and he says that's running back towards sin because of the money and finery and power her family has. He begins to tell her the story of how he became a man of faith. He said his father was a cobbler, and so therefore he became a cobbler. And they made the finest shoes for the richest families and made a very good living. He made so much money that he spent it lavishly, throwing parties for his friends with expensive alcohol and food and women. After one particular night of debauchery, though, he woke up to see all of his friends and the horse passed out naked all over the room. And he realized his sins and he walked out to find religion and never looked back. He then takes Marjorie to see her brother. I suspect this is all manipulation to try to get her to drop her guard and also to see what she and her brother will talk about. But Loris just is not doing so well. He's used to a certain lifestyle, he's used to bathing every day, and he is on the verge of breaking and he just wants to get the hell out of there. But Marjorie tells him this is all a plot that the High Sparrow wants her to help tear her f- brother down but they can't let him win. Laura's is the future of their house and their family since he's the heir to Highgarden, so he must be strong, but he just falls into her arms and sobs and says he can't take it anymore. So at that point, Marjorie realizes then that she is the only one who can save her house, and right now she is alone. Cersei's walking through the red keep and she catches Grand Maester Purcell in Tommen's room whispering in his ear about something so she throws open the door and gives it to him and she tries to throw him out but he says he won't leave until the king dismisses him once he's gone um, well then Tommen dismisses him and once he's gone Cersei starts pumping Tommen for information from the small council meetings He tells her that he's been speaking with the High Sparrow regularly and that he doesn't want to antagonize him while he still has Marjorie. Tommen says he knows Cersei doesn't like Marjorie, and Cersei admits that no, she doesn't, but Marjorie is the queen and should be treated with respect. So then Tommen decides to trust his mother and tell her that the High Sparrow has told him of a plan for a walk of shame for Marjorie, just like Cersei had to complete. Once she leaves Tommen, she immediately breaks into a small council meeting to let them know the High Sparrow's plans. Lady Tyrell's there, and she says it cannot be allowed, and Cersei says that she completely agrees with her, much to Lady Tyrell's uh, chagrin. Jamie suggests that Sir Kevin and Lady Tyrell call their banners and have their armies come into the city to take Marjorie and take down the High Sparrow. Sir Kevin says he can't do anything, though, without Tommen's approval, and he most likely will not give it since Tommen is just afraid to do anything to antagonize the High Sparrow. Yes. So Cersei brings up Sir Kevin's son, Lancel Lannister, who was the one that she had an affair with way back like in season two when Jamie was being held by Rob Stark. And he is also the one that went on the boar hunt with Robert and kind of slipped him whatever was slipped to him so that um, the boar was able to get to him. And, um, because of all of that, at some point Lancel decided that he was a bad person and that he needed to be, um, reborn. And so he became part of the faith militant. And of course, Sir Kevin is not happy about that. So she uses that to try and manipulate Sir Kevin. And, um, she says, you know, we can get him back and basically deprogram him from this radicalized part of the religion. So they finally agree to gather the armies and save Marjorie and take the High Sparrow, dead or alive. But Sir Kevin points out that if they don't succeed, there could be a civil war in King's Landing. In the next scene, we see Theon on a boat. He's made it back to Pike. He sees the island. He's extremely happy to be home. You can just see it in his eyes. But um, Yara isn't too happy to see him since he wouldn't go with her when she tried to rescue him from Ramsay. He tells her that he escaped Ramsay finally, but she feels betrayed. So he tries to explain just how deeply Ramsay broke him without going into a lot of specifics. But she says she knows exactly what Ramsay did to him because he sent Theon's part to their father but in her eyes that just still doesn't excuse his behavior or make up for all the men who lost their lives trying to rescue him. She wants to know why he's come back to the Iron Islands now and accuses Theon of coming back for the crown now that their father is conveniently dead. He tells her he doesn't want the crown, that he's not worthy of it. He just came back to help her win it and rule the Iron Islands. That's all he wants to do. osha um, is cleaned up and brought to Ramsay. he asks if she noticed his banners when they brought her in um, to the castle and if they scared her and she asks well do you eat the men after you flay them and when he says no she says "Mm, i've seen worse he wants to know why the starks entrusted her with rickon and why she protected him She says that she was just in it for herself, that the Starks kept her in chains, and that she planned to sell him for the right price. He then says, well, you know, I have no use for you then, but she says she can give him what he wants, and she tries to seduce him. And it looks like he's falling for it, but then he admits that Theon told him everything about Osha and her attachment to the Starks, and he was especially interested in how she helped Bran and Rickon escape Winterfell when Theon captured it. So she rushes to grab the knife Ramsey left on the table, but he's quicker, and he stabs her and lets her bleed out. We now go back to the wall. There's a group of people eating at a table. It includes John, Sansa, Dolores Ed, Tormund, Brienne, Pod, maybe a couple of others. Tormund is totally into Brienne and has given her this look while he's eating his bread, but she's really not warming up to him. This guy comes in to give a letter to the Lord Commander and tries to hand it to John, but he says he's not Lord Commander anymore. And the guy tells him, well, you should read the letter anyway. And it's a letter from Ramsay. And this is what the letter says. To the traitor bastard John Snow, you allowed thousands of wildlings past the wall. You have betrayed your own kind. You have betrayed the North. Winterfell is mine, bastard. Come and see. "'Your brother Rickon is in my dungeon. "'His dire wolf skin is on my floor. "'Come and see. "'I want my bride back. "'Send her to me, bastard, "'and I will not trouble you or your wildling lovers. "'Keep her from me, and I will ride north "'and slaughter every wildling man, woman, and babe "'living under your protection. "'You will watch as I skin them living. "'You will watch as my soldiers take turns raping your sister. "'You will watch as my dogs devour your wild little brother.' Then I will spoon your eyes out from their sockets and let my dogs do the rest. Come and see. And he signs it, Ramsay Bolton, Lord of Winterfell, and Warden of the North. Sansa tells them that Ramsay must have killed his father if he's signing this letter as Lord of Winterfell and Warden of the North. And that's pretty scary because now there is nobody to um, stop him from whatever he wants to do. Sir Davos asks if she happens to know how many men Ramsay has, and she says she remembers hearing that he has around 5,000 men, um, and Tormund tells them with the wildling army, John only has 2,000 men. But Sansa tells John that if he comes forward, the lords of the north are loyal, and they'll fight for him. She says they must save their little brother and Winterfell, so John says he will fight. And we end up back in Vae's Dothrak, where Dany's in the temple listening to the calls as they decide what to do with her. One of them says that he thinks they should sell her to the slave masters for 10,000 horses. She speaks to them, and she tells them that this is the place where Drogo promised to take her back to Westeros so she could claim her kingdom. And she looks at them, and she says, You are small men, incapable of leading the Dothraki. But I am not, so... I will lead them now they laugh at her and they promise that every Dithraki man will rape her before turning her over to their horses to rape her and that she is a crazy cunt and they ask do you really think that we would serve you but she tells them well you're going to die and then she pushes over one of the fire pits in the temple they run and try to escape the temple as she continues to push over more of the fire pits, but Dario and Jora have barred the door. The calls continue to try to find a way to get out any way they can, and um, eventually they are consumed by the flames. And outside, the rest of the Dothraki are just looking at the temple up in flames, not knowing what to think. And who comes walking out, naked as her name day, but Daenerys Targaryen, the Unburnt with not a scratch on her. Um, so, Danny is back. The Dothraki kneel to her. They have decided that she will be their, their ruler and um, that they will follow her. And that's the end of this episode. So, Danny's now added a, the Dothraki back to her army uh, Ramses invited Jon and Sansa to come and fight him, and things are really starting to move forward now, so we'll see where the season goes from here. Um, so I hope you'll catch me next time. We'll be covering episode 605, entitled The Door. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Games for the Throne. If you have questions, comments, crazy theories, you can email me at gamesforthethrone at gmail.com. You can also check me out on Facebook at gamesforthethrone and on Twitter. um, It's gamesforthethrone, but the four is the the number four. And I'm also on Instagram if you want to check me out, gamesforthethrone on Instagram. If you'd like to read my blog, um, there's episode recaps as well as um, what to look forward to in Season 7, theories for Season 7, all kinds of good stuff. So just check that out at 3cstudio.net slash gamesforthethrone. So I look forward to you listening to my next podcast.